What happens when you reach the highest of highs in God? Sometimes you immediately hit the lowest of lows. Do you know why? Because there's nothing like being with God. But unfortunately, sometimes those are just taste tests of the heaven that is to come. And we still have to come back to earth and realize that there's a real world in which we live where there's real problems and real people and real struggles. And if we're not careful, we will slide into depression. And we take that topic on tonight on the Deep Dive Part 18 in the Kings of Compromise series, 1 Kings chapter 19. If you've got your Bible, although you won't necessarily need it because I will be putting all the scriptures on the text today. If you're here for the first time or maybe the 10th or 3rd or 4th, click that subscribe button, click the like button. Click the notification bell. Let me know you're here. This is Tim Hatch Live, and we're going to do Kings of Compromise. Let's go. God, we pray that you will speak to us through this text and lead us and guide us and speak, Lord, for that person who's hearing maybe, and they are depressed. They are despondent. They are downcast. Remind us, Lord, that that's normal. But at the same time, there's also potential to learn to grow, and to engage for greater things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, welcome in, everybody. We are in 1 Kings chapter 19, and we I am back with a deep dive this week because we need to get going through 1 and 2 Kings, or we will never end. <laughs> so, like I said, we're going to go through this chapter, and I gave you a heads up already. It's about Elijah's depression, and Elijah's depression is going to speak to you. It's going to speak to you because these are common realities. Oh, that says 1 Kings 18. It should say 1 Kings 19. Elijah's depression. These are common realities for some of God's greatest men and women. And if you feel depressed, right off the bat, I want to say this. Don't beat yourself up. Don't act like it makes you not a Christian or you're not a faithful enough person or you don't have enough of the Holy Spirit or faith. No, you can't get any more Holy Spirit anointed or faith-filled than Elijah. You really can't. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? You have Moses and Elijah showing up with Jesus. Like that's, that he just shows you that he's got like front row seating in the, in the throne of heaven, right? And, and so this is a great man of God, but he hit a low point. You will too. I have some of God's greatest men and women have, and it's not to make you feel bad, but it actually is there to help you look up and to, and to, and to keep up with what God is doing in your life and through your life, even in the lowest of lows of your life. So let's go through the text. All right, picking right back up where we left off last week or two weeks ago, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse one, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. What had Elijah done? Remember, Mount Carmel, you have the showdown between the prophets of Baal, prophets of, uh, prophet, prophet singular of Elijah, and the prophets of Baal slice themselves and cut themselves and do all that kind of stuff. Nothing happens. God, through Elijah, brings fire down from heaven, consumes the water, the sacrifice. Everybody turns to God. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. They are chanting Elijah's name. Um, then Elijah brings rain back to the earth through his prayers, his seven-time petition prayer, and rain falls, and then Elijah supernaturally outruns Ahab as Ahab's going back to Samaria to tell Jezebel, his wicked, evil wife. And that's exactly what happens here in verse one. 
Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Let's stop there for a second. Elijah had done it or God had done it. See, depression starts, I think, when we start taking credit for the things that God is doing. And the reason why is because if we take credit for the things that God is doing, we will then put it on us to do more things. This is why you've got to constantly come back to the gospel and remind yourself that the gospel is not what I've done. The gospel is what God has done. I am the result of the gospel. I am the fruit of the gospel. But the gospel makes me who I am. I don't make me who I am. God makes me who I am. So Jezebel tells, um, sorry, Ahab tells Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he killed the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel, and I got to be honest with you, with Jezebel, we're the adversary here. <laughs> you know, I know she's synonymous with absolute wickedness, but you got to give girl cred here because she is not intimidated at all. I mean, there are pagans that are just total, like, you know, compromising pagans. Like when the world going gets tough, they'll really actually pray to God. Jezebel's like, nah, I'm, I'm totally devoted to my pagan revelry and I am going to kill this guy. So it says Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he, this is Elijah, was afraid and he rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. A couple of things we've got to point out here. First off, this is Elijah and Elijah is afraid. He rose, he ran for his life. Now look, he wants to save, oops, sorry guys. He wants to save his life. <clears throat> In a moment, he's going to beg for the end of his life, which is kind of ironic. He comes to Beersheba, which is in the south of Judah. Uh, this is also important because he's left the northern kingdom. Remember, Elijah is a prophet to the northern kingdom where Ahab is king in the north. Remember, I told you at the beginning of the study that there are 19 kings in the north. All of them are bad. Well, Elijah leaves the north. He goes to the south. He actually goes all the way down to the south and south. He goes to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. Then the text says, and he left his servant there, which is a synonym for he's ready to quit. He's quitting his job. He doesn't need a servant anymore. So, Couple things, no repentance in Jezebel. She's a formidable adversary. She's a formidable opponent. You gotta give the girl credit. Um, Beersheba in the south, he's running as far away from Samaria, from the northern kingdom as possible. Left the servant, he wants to quit. So what does the next verse say? Uh, let's, let's go there. It says this in verse four. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. Now the broom tree is also a synonym for a juniper tree. Juniper trees were huge. They had big leafy boughs. They had nice, long, outstretched um, branches, and they made for great shade. And he asked that he might die. Now, <laughs> this is kind of interesting because he just got done trying to save his life, did he not? That's exactly what we just read. He ran to save his life. When he gets away a little bit, a day later, he says, God, I want to die. So what is it, Elijah? Here's one of the great symptoms of depression. You're irrational. You... Want to save your life at the same time you want God to take your life. So you're not making sense. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of cloudiness in your head. And that's exactly what we see here in Elijah's heart, in Elijah's life. Uh, verse five, it says, and he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, now this is beautiful. An angel of the Lord, this is great, touched him. Sorry, it doesn't say angel of the Lord. I want to make sure we're clear here. Just an angel. An angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food, 40 days, 40 nights to Horeb to the Mount of God. Couple things. 
Another sign of depression in your life is you want to sleep. You're exhausted. You are spent. You've got nothing left. You got nothing in the tank. That's normal. That is part of the human condition. A lot of people who are depressed don't get proper sleep. They have fits all night because they're worried and stressed. Then they don't sleep well. Then they wake up and they are low on energy. Their cortisol levels go up there. Um, the happy hormones, oxytocin goes down. And all those kind of things are terrible in their lives, chemically speaking. And because of a lack of sleep, they get worse because they are exhausted. Now, what does God do? This is so beautiful because it says that God feeds him with an angel. This is now the third time that God has fed Elijah supernaturally. The first time God has fed him with the raven. Remember the ravens? bring, you know, <laughs> delivery, the DoorDash, um, Elijah at the brook of Cherith. Number two, the second time he's, he's holed up with the widow. widow and, uh, the, I guess you would call that the air and B Airbnb feeding because he's got a room in her house and she feeds him through the drought with the supernatural pr provision of the flour and the oil. The third time, heaven sent delivery from the angel, which just kind of shows you. And this is a beautiful picture of God. When we get lower, God does more. When we get more desperate, God does more things for us, even in ways we don't even see because he was asleep while this food is prepared. And then notice, it is supernatural food. Uh, it is true angel food cake, but because that's the... <laughs> That's the necessary joke you have to make here because he, he sees that there is this food from the angel. It's a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. The angel has given him supernatural food because he talked. It says it very clearly. He arose and ate and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to, to Horeb, the Mount of God. Now, 40 is a number that is synonymous with testing. It is a number synonymous with preparation. And what you have to understand is that text is giving us a hint that even though Elijah is not done, he's not, he's not done. He is actually being prepared and tested for a new season in life. But the question must be asked, why does he go to Horeb? And when I say Horeb, understand that this is also Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is where God gave the law to Moses. By the way, Mount Sinai is also where God called Moses. And you have to ask yourself this question, why does he go there of all places? Now he's left the land of Israel. He's left the land of Judah because now he's in the wilderness. Remember, before the Israelites got into the promised land, they went to Sinai. They weren't in the promised land yet. So the Sinai mountain, we do not know where it is. Excavations have been made to find out where it is. We cannot find it. Nobody really knows. We know where the Sinai desert is, but there's a bunch of mountains there and nobody knows what they, which one is Sinai. It doesn't matter. The point is, is that he's going to a place that symbolizes so much for God's people. It's where God called Moses in the first place when Moses did not want to go. So maybe he's associating with Moses in that sense. And I would say this, one of the best things that you can do when you're depressed is get with people who feel the same way sometimes because it helps you feel not alone. And maybe he wants to go to a place where he saw Moses reject God's call. And he just felt, look, this is what I feel like. I don't want to do this with God anymore. So I'm going to the place where Moses felt that way. It's a possibility. I think the better text, the better interpretation here is that this mountain is where God gave Israel the law. And it is important that you understand the word law. When we say law in the scriptures, we are referring to the Torah. Torah is synonymous with law. It's also synonymous with the first five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch. And the word Torah literally means not law as in rules, but instruction. And I always make this analogy. and It's important that you hear it. There's a difference between laws or rules and instruction. Instruction is when you go to the public pool and there's signs, no running, no chewing gum, no jumping, no diving, no 
splashing. No water guns, no fun, no happiness, just wade and be miserable. (laughs) Those are laws. Those are rules. But an instructor is somebody who teaches you how to swim. Somebody who comes alongside you and says, use your arms like this, paddle your feet, float your body. There is a huge difference between rules and Torah, between rules and instruction. God does not give us rules. He gives us instruction because he wants to show us how to live in a way that leads to happiness and flourishing over the longevity of our lives. Some of God's laws seem restrictive, but they're restrictive because they're protective. Some of God's laws feel like they're holding us back, but they're actually holding us in. They're protecting us from the problems that we could cause in our lives. And when God in when God introduces the law to Israel in Exodus chapter 20, uh, there is a beautiful phrase that God uses in that chapter. And I want to show it to you here on the screen as I prepare my notes that you, you got to see this because this is really cool. Um, here's how Exodus 20 set, starts. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Please don't miss that before God gives instructions, he identifies that they are who they are and where they are because of who he is and what he has done. This is a picture of our redemption in Christ. Arthur Pink has a fabulous line that is... Um, applied to this text. God has redeemed Israel. God has brought them out of slavery, an image of our, a picture of our sin. God has brought them through the Red Sea, a picture of baptism. God has made them a new people. And now God instructs them as to what they should be and do, what's not appropriate for them as God's people. And Arthur Pink says it like this, redemption necessitates conformity to God's character. When God saves, he doesn't save you just to bring you to heaven someday. He saves you to change you, to conform you to the image of God's son. One of the most popular passages in all the Bible is Romans, and we talk about this a lot on this channel, Romans 8, 28. All things work together for the good of those who are called according to God's purposes, for those whom he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So God's redemption necessitates, Arthur Pink's words, conformity to God's character. In other words, God does not just save you, to just kind of give you relief in life. He's saving you for a far greater purpose in life, a purpose that will shape you and change you. Now, I believe that Elijah goes to Horeb because deep down he knows he needs instruction. He's out of gas. He has nothing left. He doesn't know what's, what to do. This is a guy who just called fire down from heaven and still there's a hit out on his life from Jezebel. And yes, people repented, but how long will their repentance be? Not long because... I've read the rest of Kings. It's not long. So I think he's looking for answers. I think he's looking for more of God. And the good news is that God is ready to give more of himself to Elijah. Big, quick pro tip right off the bat. When you're depressed, talk to God. Get alone with him. Get into a place where you can hear from him. But I'm giving away too much too early. So let's go on in the text. He came to a cave, verse 9, lodged in it. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? This is God speaking. And Elijah said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Okay, when you're depressed, watch your pronouns. Because look at all the pronouns in this text. What are you doing here, Elijah? I have been very jealous for the Lord my God, for the people who have done all this stuff and killed your prophets, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Okay, he is self-absorbed. There is a 
un immoral um, symptom of depression, self-absorption. You're always looking at your life. You're always thinking about your life. You're always thinking about your problems, your situation. <clears throat> by, <clears throat> by the way, he's also exaggerating and filling his mind with half-truths and falsehoods. He's not alone. We know that from 1 Kings chapter 18, there was 50 prophets in one cave, 50 prophets in another cave. There's an Obadiah guy who was working with Ahab. There was, and we will find at the end of the chapter, there's 7,000 people that God has reserved for himself. So right off the bat there, there's 7,101 other people who love the Lord. By the way, there's just been a national revival and everybody's calling out Elijah, Elijah, Elijah. The Lord is God, the Lord is God. So there is a national revival going on. That's, there's not a bunch of people that want to kill you, Elijah. There's one person that wants to kill you. And that is another symptom of Elijah, an exaggerate uh, of depression, an exaggeration of your problems. You, you exacerbate the situation into this, ob this oblivion of despair. Nothing can change this. There's no hope. No matter what I do, it's not enough. And that is a symptom of depression. But we are not done. We are just getting warmed up. And let's go on to the text. Uh, verse 11, it says this, and he said, go out and stand. This is the Lord saying this. Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broken pieces of the rocks before the Lord. But, and this is so important that we see this, the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. By the way, this is where the 1970s band, Earth, Wind, and Fire, get their name. Just kidding. Actually, not kidding. It might be. I'm not sure. Anyway, after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there was a voice that came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, a couple things here. When does Elijah respond? He only responds at the sound of the low whisper. So you've got earth, wind, and fire up here, but you've got no response. You've got Elijah finally tuning into God when he hears God, and listen to this, in a way that he has not previously related to God. This is important for you and for me because this is how God is going to treat us when we are at a place where we are despondent, we are at a low, we are at a lull. It could very well be that God is going to show up in a way that we do not expect from previous engagements with him. I'm not suggesting that you go to some spiritual guru or that you kind of like try to do like this kind of thing where you think, okay, I need a word from the Lord and you find some word from the Lord or you do this thing with the Bible where people do this, they randomly flip and they say, ah, that verse. And they look at a verse and it's, it's not appropriate at all. No, God is through his word, through other Christians, through pastors, through church gatherings, through small group. God is going to speak to you in ways that you have not previously been spoken to. These, this is how God deals with depressed saints. Learning something new about the Lord will bring joy back to your heart because there are so much to learn. And we have to understand this about heaven. Heaven is going to be discovering more of God. That's what's going to make heaven heaven. Because here again on earth, we only get taste tests. We only get small little samples. Heaven is the real deal. I don't know about you, but I always enjoy an appetizer, but an appetizer really should just be an appetizer to lead me to the real meal. Well, heavenly moments on earth are just appetizers for what we are going to have in heaven. And so God does something here. He reveals a little bit, a side of himself that Elijah's never seen. He's seen fire. He's seen earthquake. He's seen wind. He's seen all that. He's seen the phenomenal from God. Now he's getting the minimal from God. And it is a totally different experience. And it's going to help him get out of and navigate out of this, this depressive cycle that he's in. Verse 14, uh, rehearsed speech. 
Elijah says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Okay, right off the bat, we know this. It is exactly the same line as before. I think in verse 12, right? His mind is on repeat. Another classic symptom of depression is you have repeated thoughts that never stop repeating. And your, your mind is on loop. Your brain, your self-reflection is on loop. It's, you're never going to get a job. You're never going get, to get a job. You're never going to get married. You're never going to get married. Nobody really likes you. Nobody really appreciates you. Everybody overlooks you. Everybody thinks you're this. Everybody thinks you're that. Da, 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 da. Your mind is on loop. And the reason why your mind is on loop is because your mind is human. This is why you have to have community where people bounce ideas off of your mind that don't come from within. That's why, that's why small group community, that's why close friends in Christ are an absolute necessity because they will, see th- they will say things from outside you. Because if you're left to yourself, and I know this from experience, you will only say the things that you constantly say to yourself. Let me ask you a simple question before we go any further. But what is the thing that you keep telling yourself that's not true? It's an exaggeration. It's a falsehood. It's not based on reality because you've been confused by what you've seen in the world or what you've seen in your life. And it's not, you're not getting the results that you determined, you're predetermined that you should receive. And so you're on this loop cycle of repeating to yourself all these things that are not true. What is it for you? There's, there's things for me. This is why I have to get out of myself. I have to call people that I know. I have to pray with people that I know. I have to be in small group community. I have to know other Christians who can speak to me from the outside. And no, I don't unload on them all the time about my depressive characteristics. Sometimes it's just a call about what's going on in somebody else's life. Sometimes it's just a phone call to a friend and you start talking about things that are outside of your head. You've got to get out of your head when depression kicks in. Verse 15 going on. And the Lord said to him, go. This is God's diagnosis. Now watch God's diagnosis. Go, get active, do something, return, get back, get back to where you were. Go to your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Damascus is to the north of Israel. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king of Assyria. Jehu, the son of Nishmi, you, will, you shall anoint to be king of Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be the prophet in your place. And the one who escapes the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. This is a beautiful moment. God is giving him heavenly uh, treatment for depression, okay? Go back the way you came. Get active. Get up. Get back on the horse. Don't stay there. Don't wallow. Friends, I know. I've been there. It is hard not to wallow. It's hard not to stay there. But you've got to do whatever it takes to get outside. Can I honestly suggest that sometimes a 30-minute walk is the greatest cure to, to, to depression that you can find? And, you, it's abs- and it's absolutely free. It reminds you that you can walk, which is also a really cool thing. Like if you have working legs, what a blessing. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Um, and I don't mean to make anyone feel bad who doesn't walk. But maybe some of the people who can't walk, doesn't, I don't, doesn't is a bad word, can't walk. You need to tell the people who are depressed and can't walk, hey, consider the alternative, right? That's, again, the benefit of a community. Secondly, he tells them to go back to where you came. You can't go to the places where you're depressed all the time. You've got to get out of that and go back to your job. You've got to get up. You've got to go to work. You've got to get up and you've got to go to church. You've got to get up and you've got to go to the activity. Then he says, I want you to pass on what you're doing. I want you to multiply the work because it's too much for you. 
You can't do this alone, Elijah. You're not meant to do this alone. And by the way, you're not doing this alone. I got 7,000 others. And here's three that I have specifically chosen to help you do this ministry. Now, Hazael, the king of, of Syria, that just shows Elijah, I'm king over all the nations. Jehu, king of Israel, that just shows God, Elijah, I'm king over Ahab, whose wife wants to presently kill you. And then anoint Elisha, that just shows God, that's God showing Elijah that I'm also king over you. You're replaceable. You're not the center of the universe. I know you think you are. I know you think it's all up to you, but it's not. There are other people involved here. God has a hand on others and God can raise up someone out of nowhere and replace you with them. And you will never see it coming if you sit there and wallow in depression and never get back up and get going. And I don't say that to condemn anyone, but I do say that to spur someone on to get back up, to go back to what you're doing and to believe that God has you there and has other people for you to benefit them so that they can help you in the work. Okay, that's the text. Let's tap into truth. So when talking about depression, I know that there's going to be a thousand of people, not a thousand, not many people watch this show, but there's going to be a bunch of people who have problems because they think immediately about medication. They think about doctor's diagnoses. They think about what can the world do for me? And I always really get discouraged when I see God's people going to worldly answers before they go to God's answers. So I did the work for you and I went to google.com and I searched how to deal with depression. And here was the first thing that came up. Helpguide.org was the first result from google.com. How to reach out for depression support. Um, some of these things are not half bad. Uh, look for support from people who make you feel safe and cared for. Okay, that's not, that's not bad. There's nothing sinful about that. Make FaceTime a priority. Phone calls, social media. I just talked about that. Um, those are great ways to stay in touch, touch, but they don't replace good old-fashioned connection, face-to-face -face interaction. Uh, try to keep up with social activities, even if you don't feel like it. Just talked about that myself. Find ways to support others. That's exactly what God just told Elijah. Uh, care for a pet. Now, that God does not do that with Elijah, but there's nothing wrong with that. Um, my pets bring me great joy. They also bring me great frustration, but they bring me great joy. Join a support group for depression. I've already talked about that. Now, the only reason why I bring this up about Google's findings is because sometimes people dismiss what the scripture has to say or what the pastor has to say about depression or anxiety or any other mental disorder because you have been so enculturated by our world to think that medication is obviously the answer. At some point, you've got to ask yourself, and this is a very important question, is the medicine making you comfortable or is the medicine helping? I repeat, is the medicine making you comfortable or is it just or is it actually helping you? Is it healing you? See, God can heal. God doesn't just make us comfortable. God can heal. He can transform us from the inside out, renew our minds. He can fill our hearts with the Holy Spirit, fill our bodies with the Holy Spirit. He can change our hearts. He can transform us. He can renew us. Medicine can um, numb us. Medicine can um, cause us to not feel. That's the same, same thing. Um, That's a synonym. <laughs> but medicine sometimes only makes us comfortable. You, you understand that Tylenol only makes you comfortable. It doesn't solve a headache. It, it, so does um, ibuprofen. These things are temporary fixes to different problems. Sometimes the medicine is worse than the cure. And we've got to be careful of that. Now, I know there's going to be somebody right now you're going to do a little chat right now. You're just ready. Your fingers are ready. I've been on depression medication and my doctor and this doctor, and I advise you that you must get a medical degree first. No, I must not get a medical degree first. I am teaching you the word of God. There was no medicine for Elijah. There was no pill to take. There was simply the word 
of God. And before you spout off at me, understand the context to which you have come. I am a pastor. I am a biblical scholar. I am a theologian. And I am giving you the answers from Scripture regarding depression because it's real. And hear me, many people have struggled with it. In fact, great people have struggled with it. So my first point is depression is real. In Elijah's case, we learned that depression can come to anyone. It can come to people at the top of their game, the top of their vocation, the top of their ministry. It can come from anywhere. Jezebel's threat came just after he defeated all of her prophets. And you could never have seen this coming, but it came out of nowhere. By the way, it can come from anything. Depression can come from anything. One thing brings Elijah into severe depression. One thing, one threat, not a hundred, not 400, not 500, not two, one. And it can quickly spiral out of control and cause us to exaggerate and lose perspective on our problems and most importantly on the solution, who is God. Let me give you a scriptural diagnosis of depression. This is good. Listen to this. There is in depression, scripturally, a desire for the end of life. Moses was there. That's Numbers eleven fifteen. 15. If you treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight that I may not see my wretchedness. That's Moses. He wants to die. Job said, Job 10, 1, I loathe my life. I will give free utterance to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. Solomon said, I hated life. Ecclesiastes 2, 17. Jeremiah 20, one of my favorite passages. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father. A son is born to you, making him very glad. Let that man be like the cities of the Lord overthrew without pity. Let him bear, uh, let him hear a cry in the morning and alarm at noon because he did not kill me in the womb so my mother would have been my grave and her womb forever great. Why did I come out of the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? Moses, Job, Solomon, Jeremiah. That is um, the first team all Bible, right? You don't get much more important or greater than those men. And they all struggled with a desire to die because of depression. You're not alone. You're not alone. It doesn't make you a bad Christian. More diagnoses from the scriptures. Deep sorrow. Genesis 21, 16. She went and sat down opposite him a good way off about a distance. This is Hagar. And she said, let me not look at the death of, death of the child. And as she sat opposite, with, uh, opposite him, uh, she lifted her voice and wept. Uh, Psalm 42, 3, David, my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Uh, loneliness is also another diagnosis. Uh, I am not able, this is Numbers eleven I I'm not able to carry all these people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. Confusion is another diagnosis, another symptom. Uh, uh, Psalm 42, 5, why are you downcast on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise in my salvation and my God. Escapism, Psalm 55, verse 6 and 7. Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. So you have a desire to end a life, deep sorrow, loneliness, confusion, escapism. And those are just some, that's just surface. There's hundreds of other texts that I could give you that describe God's people wrestling with deep sorrow, with depression, with loneliness, confusion, all these things that produce and reflect depression in our lives. And I want to reemphasize, these are all great people. I mean, with the exception of Hagar, she wasn't that great, but she was, she was you know, the mother of the, uh, of the Arabs. She is still to this day. But the point is here is that if you're going to do great things for God, you will be susceptible to great despair. You will. Because you, when you act for God and live with God, you get a taste test of heaven, but you can't live there. Believe me, I've tried. You can't, you can't always feel at level 100. 
It's just impossible. This is a real world. We're under the auspices of the devil. He's the God of this world. We're going to have long drawn out seasons of depression. There are some physical things that we can do to fix it before we get to the healing. Physical, physical things, vitamins, proper diet, proper sleep, exercise, and friends. Vitamins, proper diet, proper sleep. Uh, what did I just say? Exercise and friends. Those five things. Before you pop the pill and before you type the little comment about why you need the pill, can you please answer me those five questions? Are you eating? Are you taking vitamins? Are you eating right? Not fast food, not fried food, not nasty food. Are you, um, oh gosh, exercising, getting with friends, getting enough sleep? Those five questions. I knew they did that out of order this time, but those are five questions that I have for you before you tell me that the pill is necessary. And I understand that you still think the pill is necessary. We can agree to disagree. Depression is real. Uh, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 1.8, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Paul felt depressed. So the question is, how do we get there? How do we get there today? Well, I got some answers for you here too, also from the Bible and from Elijah's life from 1 Kings chapter 19. Causes of depression, number one, social causes. Uh, this would be animosity from others. You're just hated. Uh, it might be your father, might be a mother, might be a sister, brother, cousin, relative, friend, I don't know. Could be rejection from others. That's Jezebel. You just absolutely are hated by someone else. They don't want anything to do with you. They want you dead. Number three, isolation of yourself. And we will get back to that later. You, um, you are alone all the time. You're alone too much. And these little devices enable that way too much for you to feel alone and be alone all the time. Emotional causes of depression, fear, wondering about the future, worry, anxiety, anger, You've got unresolved anger towards someone. You can't resolve this in your heart. Um, number three, disappointment with the results of your life. That's a big one for men. Men work and they want to see the progress of their work. They want to see validation from the work. They're actually made for this. Adam's first job was to tend and keep the garden, work, for, work it, cultivate it, create, get kickback on your input. You need output from your input. And if you don't get the output from your input, it can be very depressing. And that is a cause of depression. Um, number four, vocational, three, third, vocational causes. Number one, uh, exhaustion. You're not getting enough sleep. You're not exercising. You're not treating your body right. You're taking, listen, you're drinking caffeine way too late in the day. If you drink caffeine, and I've heard as early as afternoon, noon, the hour noon, you're susceptible to staying up late, insomnia. You can't sleep. You can't get rest. Your body can't recuperate. Your hormones are all out of, out of, out of whack and your body can't naturally heal itself. Um, a sense of youth, uselessness. That's because you're not getting the output from your input. And so you feel useless. You feel like you have no talents. You have no skills. You're just on this earth wandering. And there is a lot of people like that right now. Um, I actually read today in a book that if you have a purpose, a sense of purpose in your life, and that's the third one, by the way, loss of purpose or disappointing results in your work. Um, if you have a sense of purpose, you live on average seven, seven years longer than people without a purpose. You need, you're made for a purpose. You're made to serve others. By the way, I would add that as number six, right? To proper sleep, vitamins, exercise, diet, friends, serving, purpose. What do you got? Who are you serving? Who are you outputting to for their benefit, not your own? 
powerlessness is another one, vocational. You just, you can't get any momentum moving in your life and you just feel powerless in that position. Powerlessness comes and goes though. It comes, it goes. You've got to realize that powerlessness, sometimes God gives you powerlessness so that you will be weak and in your weakness, you will look to his power and strength in spite of your weakness and that will show you how to find joy in his goodness toward you even when you can't move things on your own behalf. Uh, Mental causes, repeating the same words to yourself. That's what we see here in Elijah. You're constantly telling yourself uh, falsehoods and half-truths about yourselves. And then you believe them. You believe these words because you keep repeating them to yourself. And that's exactly what we see here in Elijah in 1 Kings chapter um, 19. So depression is real. Are you ready for this? Healing is real. Depression is real. And I'm not talking about coping. And I'm not talking about avoiding. And I'm not talking about numbing. I'm talking about healing. Medicine can numb. God can heal. Medicine can numb. God can heal. Okay? So how do we find healing for depression? Well, this passage also enumerates some details about that. First, we find healing for depression when we draw near to God. When we draw near to God, James chapter 4 verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now, some other passages, some other things about that passage that we don't like to talk about, but it's true, is when we draw near to God, okay, he draws near to us. We have to cleanse our hands. We have to repent. We have to purify our hearts. We have to call out to God for forgiveness. We have to be wretched and mourn over our sorrow, our, our, our sin. We have to turn to him. We have to humble ourselves before him. And then at the proper time, he will exalt us. We have to stop speaking evil against others. We have to reconcile with our brothers. These are all passages after that passage on draw near to God. In James chapter 4, verse 8, he'll draw near to you. And when he draws near to you, you need to do business. You need to do proper business and get alone. And I want to say this about getting alone with God is that you have to deliberately choose this. Go for a walk and pray to God. That's a twofer right there. You're getting exercise, you're getting outside, and you're talking to God. That is a two-for-one activity where you draw near to God and you physically benefit your body. Um, Let me talk and stop here because I told you I'd get back to it and I want to. There is a profound difference between isolation and solitude. And the differences cannot be more important for us to note. There is a profound difference between solitude and isolation. Solitude is biblical. Jesus often got alone and prayed. That's Luke 4, that's Luke 6. Jesus did this. It is important that you do this. The great men and women of the faith who suffered with depression got alone with God. When you get alone with God, this is purposefully getting alone with God, opening your Bible, praying to him, calling out to him. You are now opening your heart to God. Singing to him opens your heart to God. Sing alone. That's probably better for some of you because you can't sing. <laughs> so sing alone to God and it opens your heart. And then it's also strengthening. When you, when you deliberately spend time alone with God, it strengthens your life and strengthens your faith. You may not feel it emotionally immediately, but it will produce fruit eventually. Okay, number, uh, now let's talk about isolation. Isolation is the enemy's plan. It's not biblical at all. Isolation is when you're open to temptation, when you are um, not alone intentionally to speak and be with God, but you're alone because you want to get away from it all. And then the enemy comes in and he starts to offer you temptations and it weakens your faith because you will give into the temptation. I put this uh, statement underneath all of this, and I want to make sure that you're very clear on these differences because they're so big. You deliberately choose solitude to be with God, or the enemy will offer you isolation to give you temptation and weaken your faith. So I say this, solitude is purposeful detachment from others to be better for them. 
Because when you're with God, you will be better for others. Isolation is detachment from others out of resentment of them. You're angry with them. You're hateful of them. You're done with them. You're frustrated with them. You don't like them anymore. You need to get away from them. That is the enemy's plan. Of course, that's the enemy's plan. Some of you let the enemy do this between you and brothers and sisters in Christ. You do this between yourself and a church. You do this between yourself and your family who are in the faith. Be careful of that. That's the enemy's plan. He is, be, he is sowing seeds of bitterness and resentment in your life so that you will hate the people in your life. And if that happens, watch out. The enemy is isolating you, isolating you, isolating you, and then you're going to be open to temptation and self-destruction. And it's only going to get worse. So how do we find healing? I've already talked about. Nearness to God, we have to get along with him. Secondly, uh, oh, before we get there. Before we get to number two, I love this verse. I want to give it to you. Maybe it's a life verse for someone. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. What a powerful promise. I love the fact that God is near the brokenhearted, not away. And I love the fact that he saves the crushed in spirit. He doesn't despise them or disown them. So we have to get alone with God on purpose. Number two, we have to grow in our knowledge of God. Uh, the still small voice, I've already mentioned this in the text when we went through it. It's knowing God um, in a way that Elijah had never known God before. And I put this in the text. In knowing God, we know ourselves. In knowing God, we know ourselves, right? Because, Christian, you are called to the conformity of the image of God's Son. When we see him, John says, we shall be like him. So our ultimate telos, our ultimate goal in life, telos is a famous Greek word that I'm using to impress you. Uh, that just means goal. Um, telos, the ultimate goal in life is to be like Christ. The more you know Christ, the more you know what you're supposed to be like. And the more you know what you're supposed to be like, and the more you become what you're supposed to be like, Christ, the less you care what other people think about you becoming who you're becoming. Got it? This delivers you from depression because depression sometimes comes because of social interaction, rejection, animosity, hate, and envy. And, and it's such a healing for Elisha to hear the still small voice of God. No more big to-dos. No more big showdowns on Mount Carmel, Elijah. Now you're going to just spend time with me alone. We're going to get closer. And you think about it, still small voice. Elijah had to lean in. Elijah had to, what? What was that, Elijah? What? He had, to, he had to come closer. Then thirdly, mission re-engagement. That's what God offers Elisha as a treatment for his depression. Anoint others for the cause. Get involved. Give yourself away, Elijah. Don't put this all on you. You need to find others around you. Engage in the mission. Mission re-engagement. Not just re-engagement. Not just community. Not just getting around people. Because sometimes you can get around the wrong people. Amen? You got to get around the right people. People who are mission-minded, Christ-minded, God-minded, oriented around the gospel. And you engage back again in serving others. Okay? Back to those six things. I've already had given you six. I'll give you one more. These are the, these are the practical and free, I'm, I remind you, free treatments that God offers to the depressed. Vitamins, well, that's not free. You got to buy those. Okay, so, well, food's not free either. You got to eat right. <laughs> Sorry, but you know what I'm saying? It's cheap. You can get vitamins pretty cheap. Food, good food, I know it's more expensive than cheap food, which is exactly why, how it works in the God of this world. He loves to make bad food uh, cheap and good food expensive. But, okay, so vitamins, um, proper food, proper sleep, that is free, okay? You just got to do it right. You got to know how to do that right. Um, I've actually been doing something in my own life with that proper sleep thing. I've been sleep, uh, deep breathing before I go to sleep. It calms your body. It brings your heart rate down and it prepares your, your um, hormones for sleep. So five deep breaths. 
inhale and exhale so that you get that moment to your heart rate comes down. Even just that one deep breath, I can feel my heart rate, heartbeat going down. But anyway, proper sleep, um, um, exercise, friends, serving, prayer. Time with prayer, time with God. Seven. And isn't seven the number of completion? I've just given you the sevenfold way out of depression from God. And these are going to heal you. I guarantee it. Try it. Try it. Give this a chance. Some of you got to get outside. You've got to get exercise. You got to get fresh air. Some of you have got to develop a friendship culture. Who are you hanging with that loves Jesus? Some of you have got to start taking vitamins. Some of you got to start. Um, some of you are in, in his, uh, the seasonal affective disorder, which I used to struggle with greatly when I lived in New England. And I understand that. And the only thing that got me out of it was a good workout and vitamins. And um, I would also get under a happy lamp. And so I would suggest that because there are positive rays from the sun that we don't get in the winter like we get in the summer. And it's just very natural to get under the sun or get under some kind of lamp that gives you those rays. Be careful that you don't overdo it because it can actually cause irritation. But, you know, those are some, some simple solutions that you can find for your depression. You don't need to stay there. But you have to understand that it is normative for God's people. We are under the auspices of the God of this world. We are anointed of the Holy Spirit. So the God of this world is subject to the God that we are anointed by. So I understand. But we are still walking and talking under the auspices of the devil's authority in this world. He has no authority over us. He has authority over the people of this world. So we will experience the frustration and the depression that comes with his dominion of darkness. But we are children of the light. And God can and will heal us. And deliver us but we've got to do something we can't just sit back and listen to what i'm saying now and say okay that kind of helped maybe no do it get out do it. feed yourself the proper food get some friends get on board with the mission serve others pray and seek god amen what does paul say in first second corinthians when he's talking about at the end of that phrase when he says we despaired of life itself we wanted to die he, he was totally depressed what does he say in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 1, Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he would deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. God can and will and does deliver his saints from depression. He will deliver you. I hope this has helped. May God bless you. May God strengthen you. Support the channel if you would. This is a great way to serve. Cash app, Tim Hatch Live, timhatchlive.com slash support. My book is coming out. I have no idea when. I just know it's coming out. So keep tuned in for that. If you haven't already, read my book, Move. Go to Amazon, search Tim Hatch Move. If you read my book, Move, could you do me a big favor? Please leave a five-star review at the Amazon page. So go to amazon.com. Tim Hatch Move is the search. And leave me a five-star review, please. I would really appreciate that. Want to get those reviews coming in. Tomorrow, we've got 10 questions with Tim. So get your questions in if you haven't already. I'll see you at noon for lunch break. And if you haven't already, like, share, and subscribe to the channel because all of that is free and it helps us out. Helps the YouTube algorithm. They're taking our videos down from the deep end constantly. Help us out. Watch when you can live on the deep end because they're going to constantly take us down. Uh, and it is what it is, but we're going to fight. And we're going to continue to press on and we're going to believe that God is going to have fruit from this ministry. It's been an absolute pleasure to bring this content to you guys. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow for noon, lunch. Let's have lunch together. Of course, I will have lunch afterwards because eating and talking into a mic is not appropriate, nor is it polite. I'll see you then. God bless you. Have a great night.